0: Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. And this is our weekly roundup where we bring in a rotating panel of experts to discuss the truth you need to know behind the most important stories of the week and how they're shaping the political landscape. On today's panel, crisis communications consultant and MSNBC political analyst, our good friend Susan Del Percio. Always wonderful to see you, Susan.
1: Good morning. Great to be with you.
0: And returning to the Roundup is political strategist and our resident expert in demographics and Latino politics, and a former political director of the California Republican Party, Mike Madrid. Mike, welcome back. Hey guys, great to be back. On today's Roundup, the outrageous shooting of Dante Wright just miles from where Derek Chauvin is on trial for the murder of George Floyd, and how Republican aligned media is covering what's happening in Minnesota the spectacular fall of Matt Gates and how following the Trump playbook may or may not work for the embattled congressman, a first-of-its-kind meeting of several dozen prominent corporate leaders standing their ground on voting rights, and for our Politicology Plus exclusive segment, we'll look at the new America First Policy Institute being led by Trump's closest lackeys and co-conspirators and what that means for the future of America First politics. Let's get started. Last Sunday, April 11th, Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man, was fatally shot during a traffic stop and attempted arrest by a Minnesota officer named Kim Potter, who has since resigned and been arrested and charged with second-degree manslaughter. This happened less than 10 miles from where Derek Chauvin is currently on trial for the murder of George Floyd, which happened less than a year ago. Dante Wright was pulled over for expired tags, and after learning that he had an open arrest warrant, officers attempted to take him into custody. During a struggle, Officer Potter could be heard yelling, Taser, taser, on body cam footage, but she grabbed her 9mm pistol and shot Wright. The following day, Police Chief Tim Gannon held a press conference where he claimed that Potter intended to use a taser on Wright, but accidentally pulled out and discharged her gun instead. Potter had been an officer for 26 years and was president of the police union. And according to the New York Times, there have been 15 other cases of so-called weapon confusion over the past 20 years, and only five of the officers were indicted. Only three of those, including the two cases in which people were killed, were eventually found guilty. So this killing sparked new protests in the Twin Cities region And while most of the world was focused on the epidemic of police killing black men, Fox News focused on the protests. Uh, Their headline on Wednesday was, Self-identified Antifa members arrive in the Twin Cities area as Brooklyn Center protests continue. Laura Ingram talked about how Trump can't be blamed anymore for the unrest since this is now happening under Biden's watch. And she also invoked a tweet from former President Obama as possibly stoking animosity toward law enforcement. For the record, uh, President Obama's tweet read, Our hearts are heavy over yet another shooting of a black man, Dante Wright, at the hands of police. It's important to conduct a full and transparent investigation, but this is also a reminder of just how badly we need to reimagine policing and public safety in this country. So, Susan, why don't we start with you? I want to talk about how conservative media's framing of this story making it about Antifa and riots when it's really about the unjust killings of black men, how that helps Republicans and their allies make this about white grievance politics.
1: Well, that's been their strategy all along is to make it about white grievance. So what's interesting that I find this time versus other instances of violence against black men by police officers is that you don't see the same rally around the police officers as we used to see. And part of that is because George Floyd so exposed the systemic racism within the police force, within our nation. And people really woke up to it last summer during those protests. And it wasn't just people of color. It was women in the suburbs who were angry at Donald Trump for stoking that fire. It was it was people of all different ages that are just that started to see things differently. Some of them who watch Fox News. So now they come to the only thing they have, and that is violence and and anger. And that's why Fox News and other conservative media outlets focus on that. They have no other message. Now, they also tend to try and use the defund the police message in there as, you know, to kind of get their their people, their their viewers uh, behind them. But even that isn't necessarily having the impact that they thought it would. The one thing I've noticed in the last hundred days or so with Joe Biden as president, the anger level has subsided. It doesn't mean that there's still not significant fights out there and and, you know, within communities. But the way everyone's covering things, it's it's different now. And even Fox has to adapt to that because otherwise they are going to lose more of their viewers and maybe just some of the real conservative news outlets are are going to be left for them.
0: Mike, do you think that this kind of news is being covered differently now and do you think that we've made progress since 2020 do you think 2020 actually turned the tide in some way
2: absolutely it did we could see it in the polling actually uh to susan's point we started to see a deterioration in trump's support levels um right after the george floyd execution and one of the reasons it's happening is because it's not only ubiquitous people are seeing it right it's it, it's so much so many people have are recording this and when you see it visually, uh, it changes the, 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 the discussion. It's not just academic. It's not just you know black people in black neighborhoods saying this is happening and white people in suburbia who never experienced it saying, I, don't, I can't really relate to that. This really was catalyzed with the camcorder back during the Rodney King incident in Los Angeles in 1992 right. is when you can see what's happening, you see the injustice and it's inescapable. Your evidence is your own eyes. And that that is why we are witnessing this change. It's different, for example, than let's take the gun control debate, where we're not really seeing the shooter actively walking around and shooting people as much as we are seeing police brutality on body cams. If we were, I think the nature of that debate would change too and so, as the media covers it and as the media becomes much more visual because we're all basically cameramen and camera women out there because they're in our hip pockets, it's changing the way that coverage is handling this. But perhaps most importantly, you have to recognize and understand that the culture wars that we kind of, you know, really emanated from the 60s and 70s and really hit peak velocities in the 80s and 90s have transformed into race wars. That's really what is happening, is we're defining culture by race in this country as we change demographically. And as a result, standing with or against the police for a Fox News is now becoming a racial issue. Right, it's not just a uh, you know the 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 blue lives matter. Right, in fact, that literally was the response. That to was Black the response. That's right. Yeah, It's trying to define And that has which. faded. It's faded, and it's going to continue to fade. There are demographic reasons for it, but to Susan's point, it, it's, go, it's it's not going to have the same um, stickiness. It's not going to have the same resonance because it is it is when it, it's continual. Right, we 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 know that this is going to happen again. We know that it happens every few months. But with body cams, the likeliness of this happening again on camera is what is making this different change happen at a faster pace than some of these other cultural issues that are really becoming remnants of the American right and of the Republican Party. Yeah, that's
0: a really good point. So, just to turn the wheel a little bit here, there's some irony in folks who've been yelling and screaming about government overreach as it pertains to COVID, automatically reverting to positions like. He shouldn't have resisted arrest or just do what the authorities tell you and you'll be fine when many of these same people refuse to wear masks in public and follow essentially the guidelines set by the authorities. How do you see these shifting arguments around government use of force when going from aggrieved white men being asked to wear a mask to the
2: extrajudicial killings of unarmed black men by law enforcement? Well, look, government's become weaponized as we've become more hyperpartisan. And as a result, um, who is doing what is more important than, you know, what is, what is being said about it. Um, and what I mean by that is, look, there's hypocrisy on both sides, but it's particularly pronounced on the, on, on the right for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned here. We, one of the things that was most fascinating to me was how rapidly the ideology and the belief system of the Republican Party collapsed when it no longer suited them. It was no, There was no struggle about whether or not individual liberties and being anti-government um, worked or didn't work in the new age. It was like, let's just abandon that and make sure that we're protected and I get what I want and I can advance my agenda, whether it's anti-science or whether it's pro-police or anti-police, right? The same people that began the insurrection on January 6th started with a Blue Lives Matter chant and then started beating officers with American flagpoles. So again, it's, it's all situational. The ethics here are completely situational. It has nothing to do with an underlying ide- ideology, and it's really premised on not just this tribalism, as I mentioned, but really gets down to whether or not, um, I guess the best way to put it is, is, is a resort to this to, to white grievance, is police are only useful so far, and they protect me and my community. Once it's a threat to me, then they're no longer of use to me. And I think it's important to understand that that is what is driving most of the behavior that we're seeing um, from the the right, both culturally, demographically, and absolutely from the media narrative that's coming out.
1: Yeah, There's also something really, you know, talking about Mike saying it's situational. When you look at this weekend, for example, we saw, you know, we see the show Chauvin being on trial for the murder of George Floyd. Ten miles away, we see a 20-year-old black man murdered. I mean, one can argue, I mean, I think that's the way to look at it and for what reason we're not lawyers reason, so yeah right. right but for what reason because he was pulled over for ta- for having expired tags and the warrant when they ran it it was a misdemeanor warrant so why should and how is it possible that anyone dies as a result of expired tags and a misdemeanor warrant yeah yeah that's the bigger question and that's yeah. what's starting to hit now you have that again 10 miles away from the trial add that we also saw a, a member of our, our our armed services uh get pulled over by police officers he did the right thing he pulled over into a light a lit area because it was on a dark street and they basically said get out of the car he asked why am i being pulled over and he said honestly i'm afraid to get out of the car and the cop said you should be I didn't read that on in the paper. I saw it on television. And that's what I think Mike was talking about. We see all of these events on television. There is nowhere to go. You, you I mean, you could put your head in the sand. You could try all you want, but y- you see this behavior. And again, that's not to say that that's how every cop acts. But we can no longer ignore what is systemically happening and we can no longer the fact that we must have we're not going to be able to train our way out of this punishment is going to be the immediate deterrent over time yes we can train people differently and they come into the force but until they're held accountable like this woman for for killing a 20 year old black man who Basically retired so she could get her pension. And there was a question if you want to retire, you get your pension benefits. And she knew exactly what she was doing. And that was a very calculated move that we have to say, if you're if you're for whether any government official or, or uh cop or anyone who's serving the public, if you are found guilty for doing for something on your watch that you're hired to do, you don't get to keep your pension. And those are the things that will change somewhat behavior because it will be forced.
0: All right, Mike, what do you help us think through the polling data and what this is going to mean for politicians, right? How would you factor the culture war Fox News narrative into campaign strategy?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So the, look, and there's there's obviously a lot to this. So let's let's step back a little bit and kind of assess how This actually worked in the context of the 2020 presidential campaign, because there's a really perfect comparison to this. As we were watching the numbers, both public polling and inside polling, uh, internal polling, and and, and the analytic data that we were running with ads during the George Floyd murder, um, what we saw was one of the biggest movements, probably the largest movements, of college-educated white Republicans right in the immediate aftermath of the George Floyd death. And the reason was again because this was on camera, right? It was like it's like the Vietnam War changed public opinion and because Americans were watching the first war on TV. And after a few months of it, they realized like, oh, we don't we don't have an appetite for this. That's what's happening with this same issue. It's not going to go away. It's going to continue to erode public support. But I, I did mention this demographic specifically because the definitive point, the the, the biggest demarcation in the Republican coalition is college-educated versus non-college-educated. And the reason why college-educated Republicans are so repulsed by these cultural issues is because of that broader experience, right? They're, they're going to college. They're, they're uh, seeing different parts of life. They're more yeah. upwardly mobile economically. This has always been the constituency that, that is the swingiest, the most volatile vote in the Republican coalition. These voters, women specifically, but men, men also, really collapsed uh, after the George Floyd, uh, execution. And again, it was based off of a cultural issues. These were not people that were saying, I want, uh, you know, to protect my capital gains tax cut. They weren't worried about free trade issues. It wasn't about any other sort of economic issues or, you know, country club issues as we used to call them. It was a cultural issues. And for the first time, cultural issues started to work against the Republican party amongst a segment of white voters. This is the exact opposite of what the whole Southern strategy was premised on, was dog whistling and coalescing white voters to overperform. It's why you saw Donald Trump start to refer to law and order messaging, right? What he was trying to do was get these white voters to come back. Uh, They did not. They did not. And in fact, there was actually a pivotal moment where, where Stuart Stevens and I were having a conversation about five or six weeks out of the election, and he asked the question saying, Mike if you had to run on just one one issue would it be cultural issues or economic issues to keep these voters off and the answer was immediately cultural issues which was kind of striking I think uh to him because never in Republican politics has that ever been the answer and it is now and that so going forward to your question this this tension this change is going to exacerbate the tension between the educated and non-college educated members and the Republican coalition Democrats would be absolutely wise to keep pressing on these issues as a matter of social justice. The problem comes when they overreach and start to say things like defund the police or say get rid of policing altogether. It only takes one person to say that to make Fox News (laughs) and then reiterate that and scare people back into... Uh, the Republican fold. But it, it is not sustainable. It's not sustainable to say this isn't happening or you need to be more worried about Antifa members coming into Minneapolis to to, to riot when we are seeing with our own eyes what is actually happening. Yeah. And the more that it does happen, the longer term this becomes problematic for the Republican Party. The longer term it becomes problematic for Fox News because of its aging white demographic. The average Fox News is 65 plus you know, white um American who's just watching this stuff and has' kind of got it hooked up into their veins, right IV right directly into their veins and it's babysitting a lot of our senior citizens candidly. That's what Fox News is serving is and it, the the fear and anger that it uses, this addictive nature of of scaring people to what Susan was saying earlier, there's less fear there's less to be outraged or scared or frightened by. Um, they've got to manufacture these crises in order to maintain their viewership numbers. That That's not going to work in an era where we don't have a president who's continually working to frighten or anger us on Twitter on a daily basis. So look, I think, the, and then finally, the last point is demographically, America's changing every day, literally every day. We're, be, we're becoming a browner, blacker country every 30 seconds. There are, There are literally every minute, it is changing that fast demographically. So whether it's in the short, medium, or long term, it's a bad strategy. It's not going to work, but I think it's going to get more intense, and the the, the pushback will become more visceral. It's why you're hearing things about white replacement theory from Tucker Carlson. It's why there's this doubling down on the, on the uh, Blue Lives Matter messaging. It's all about white grievance and playing into the fastest-shrinking demographic It may work in the really short term, but I think the end of this this type of politics working nationally was 2020. On a a presidential level, it it may work in the medium term for, for midterms in Congress, but long term, it's a really, really bad strategy.
1: Actually, I think it's a really problematic thing for Nancy Pelosi for 2022 and her and the House, because it is a small majority that she has. I think, you know, depending on right now, it's two, but it's about seven. And and let's look at some of the bluest states where there's still swing districts that she was able to flip California, New York, New Jersey. Those are all states that have some Democrats who flipped these nice red states. And she's been you know, that's what's kept her pretty strong when their conferences of their respective states start talking about defund the police and start putting Democrat primaries up there. That is a problem for the Democrats in the short term, no doubt, because she can't, uh, you know, the, the Democrats can't afford to lose a, a dozen seats. That that number is uh, already that, so narrow. The, yeah. With the, yeah and, and and this is a, this is an issue that can flip if the 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 ultra left keeps pushing it. You hear, me- you know, institutional members of the of Congress, even on the Democratic side, saying, yeah. Defund the police is the worst message. It's ever. the worst. And you and I <laughs> talked about this.
0: It's it's a terrible messaging package, <laughs>
1: even, despite
0: the sentiment behind it. And I think you know Barack Obama actually put it really well, which is that we need to rethink policing in America. But saying point blank, defund the police, will turn off so many more people than you could otherwise persuade.
1: And let me just add this fact, especially at a time where you see an increase in crime, yeah, in a lot of cities. Yeah. Now it, there's a, a lot of reasons for it, and yeah. But if you want to if you're if you're in a swing district and, or if you're in the suburbs and you want to point to something, that's what you point to. You say, oh, look, they want to even cut the police force more. And again, it it probably is a good short term argument. I, I, I agree with Mike long term. This is going to completely destroy the Republicans, but they will continue it for right now, I think, and push their opponents into it even more.
0: All right, let's move to Matt Gates, who we have successfully avoided talking about very much on this podcast, but it's time, and there are good reasons to talk about this. So quickly, for some background here, um, in case you haven't been following this story, federal investigators are examining whether Gates engaged in a relationship with a woman that began when she, she was 17— The investigators are also pursuing allegations that Gates may have used cash and drugs in his dealings with the young women, according to CNN, uh, including paying for their flights, which if they weren't of legal age would constitute human trafficking. Gates and his uh, associate, ally, friend, whatever you want to call him, Joel Greenberg, who's a former county tax commissioner, indicted last year on multiple charges, used digital payment apps, including Venmo to pay women who attended parties with them. So why are we talking about this? Because it's important to remember that crimes have allegedly been committed with real human victims, but I wanna talk about this in, in terms of Trump moving the Overton window of what's acceptable and unacceptable conduct from elected officials. And I think you know, it's probably worth mentioning that the shift was greatest after the first impeachment, and we talked about this a lot, Mike, but it moved further even after that. And Gates dug in his heels, Well, he's he's sort of constantly digging in his heels, but this is what he said. And I quote, when you see the anonymous sources of insiders forecasting my demise, know this, they aren't really coming for me. They're coming for you. I'm just in the way. Does that sound familiar to anybody?
2: Word for word. There were memes from
0: from the Trump campaign that said exactly this, with a sort of ominous looking Donald Trump in a black scary background saying like pointing at the camera they're coming for you i'm just in the way. Matt Gates wants to be Donald Trump. He's using the same playbook. And last week he boasted about the support he's received from within the Republican party and here's what he had to say.
2: We have your back. That is the sentiment i have heard from thousands of Americans. At restaurants, walking through public parks, sometimes just out on the street, in emails, online donations. And I can't tell you how much it means to me. This past week has been full of encouragement. From President Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Jim Jordan, to the MAGA nation that shares so much love. I'm built for the battle, and I'm not going anywhere. The smears against me range from distortions of my personal life to wild... And I mean, wild conspiracy theories. The truth will prevail.
0: So, okay, you guys like <laughs> the, all right. Um, there, there are multiple angles that I want to get to here. The biggest one and the most problematic, I think, for so many reasons is how Trump has changed what's, what's okay and what's not okay. But also this, it's true if I say it's true approach uh, from a communications strategy standpoint is working and people actually believe he is being blackmailed. So as more Republican officials are are taking this Trumpian approach and our media environment is increasingly fractured and mistrusted, and the more likely bad people in positions of power are gonna get away with crimes and sort of abhorrent behavior, I guess. So Susan, why don't you start? So there's a Democratic strategist, Brent Colburn, who served in the Obama administration. He was quoted um, in an AP article, saying clearly this is a new strategy people are employing in crisis response. It is a new chapter in the playbook. How do you see this? Um, has, has Trump rewritten crisis communications for conservatives?
1: Well, not just for conservatives, but look at Andrew Cuomo in New York. He has like three investigations going, some federal, some state, um, some on sexual harassment, some on nursing homes. I mean, being defiant is the way to power through the crisis now. Uh, unless you're willing to hang it up. And that's just the, the facts of communication right now. Um, the, the clip that you said of, uh, Matt Gates, I believe that was done before he was told that Trump would not see him, um, at Mar-a-Lago. So mm-hmm. I guess Trump's support isn't so much there. I know we've said it a lot, but only Donald Trump is Donald Trump. So. I, I, don't know where all this make-believe support is. And as far as that, they're coming for you too. Let me tell you, when DOJ knocks on his door, they're only coming for him. They're coming for everybody else. They're knocking on just his door. They're not going to be knocking on those other people's doors. So I, it, it is the, it is a way to strong arm. It's also the way you go down in flames. Okay. So once you, you're not gonna get away with the lie. I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Once you start going down this road, you 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 either know your toast and you just wanna milk it for as long as you can, or you're in complete denial. I mean, I, I think about even Bill Clinton, Whitewater was this nice investigation of real estate, and it ended up with a blue dress. Once they start with Matt Gates, I think this investigation, and I know I'm not answer- kind of veering off here a little bit, I think this investigation is going to turn into a whole lot more. There's very little doubt this is like the preliminary stuff. This is the stuff that chums the water. I think we're going to see something much more substantial come out against Matt Gates and a few other people involved in Florida politics. That will be very disconcerting, but that's why you take this stand or why I think he's taking this stand now because it's all he's got unless he wants to go home.
0: I take all of that, but you said one thing, which is that you can't get away with the lie. And yet Donald Trump incited an insurrection. He was impeached for a second time and he got away with it. That insurrection was based on a massive lie.
1: It was based on, and, and that is a different, all right, that's I get a different it. type I, of crisis. It's a different crisis, totally different, different yeah, it's
0: totally different. Matt Gaetz, small potatoes compared to Donald Trump. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is if you can't hold Donald Trump accountable for that, then is there any hope of holding anybody accountable for anything that they do while, while in public office?
1: I still think there is when you're like in Congress or in the Senate at this point, because the big thing is there, your colleagues end up holding you accountable because they don't want to go down with you. <laughs> I mean, for no other reason than survival. Unless it looks
0: like it's popular, unless it looks like it's going to buy yeah, them points. People supported Donald Trump because they thought it was going to help them. They're I Republican.
1: I, I, I've got to move away for when we're talking about Matt Gates. we're yeah. not talking about Donald okay, Trump. True, I mean, right, it is yes. such a difference in in how you calculate this because- Matt Gaetz is not Donald Trump. He doesn't have his not to go down that road, but Matt Gaetz only can rely right now on the current environment. He doesn't have any support from his colleagues on the Republican side. The Democrats are doing an investigation. DOJ is doing an investigation. That's all happening and he can't change it there will be things that come out. And plus, oh, his best friend's flipping on him. And then the oh, other yeah. good friend he has is Roger Stone. So what <laughs> could go wrong with that?
0: Okay, fair, fair. <laughs> uh, I don't have um, Matt Gates's fave on fave numbers in front of me since all
2: of this happened, Mike. But why don't you um, tell us what we're missing here? This story actually fascinates me, just kind of as an observer of the body politic. Not that I follow Matt Gates very closely, but it's actually, I think, a very important story. And here's why: Matt Gates really is, is symptomatic of kind of the Trump presidency uh, and kind of the 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 victory of, if you will, of performative politics in the Republican Party. Matt Gates doesn't have a substantive policy agenda. No, no. He's not advocating for anything ideological or, or or making any sort of philosophical case for government. It's all theater. It's all continual theater. And that's that is symbolic of a party that really no longer has a guiding philosophy or an ideological core. The theater is the point. The absurdity is the point. The focus of attention actually is the point. And to this, to this moment in time, with what he's being accused of, I actually do believe he not only survives it, but becomes out stronger. Now, this could change, and I think it probably will. As Susan said, I think this story is just starting. I think there's a lot is going to start unraveling, and we're going to learn a lot more. But if it were at where it's at today, even if there were some of these crimes, I think he survives it, and I think he becomes stronger, and he's leaning into the fight with the exact same Donald Trump message because the underlying premise of grievance politics and Trumpism is essentially we are under attack. Victimhood. We are victims, mm-hmm. and unless we stand together, you're next, mm-hmm. and that's what fear is all about. That's what the Blue Lives Matter is all about. That's what having guns is all about. They're coming they're for, coming for they're you. They're coming for your guns. They're coming it's for you. How far, it's how far down the line you are, but they're coming, so you might as well protect the people at the tip of the spear, because once that's removed, they're just that much closer to getting rid of you and America as you know it. That's the point. And the problem for Republicans is it's really they're not fucking ma-
0: effective, though.
2: It, it oh, it's incredibly effective. Like when people are talking, you know, and, and you hear a lot of you know media talking heads joking about Dr. Seuss and how ridiculous this is. That stuff really works, and it works because you're speaking in the midst of a culture war. When you talk about cancel culture, when you talk about Dr. Seuss, when you talk about uh, protecting the Matt Gates and the Lauren Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Donald Trump. These are not people that really have any any centering. or th- th- they're, they're characters in a theater. And you have to understand that that reality is a chosen reality. It's reflective of an empty culture. It's reflective of a dying political party. But the emotional basis for what it means for your own identity, there is nothing more powerful as human beings that drives us. And so when that when when an ideological core is replaced by a threat to our identity, all of these small peripheral, ridiculous theatrics become particularly powerful because they are viewed as the last remnants of protecting. Us and our way of life, and our culture, and our children, and our children's children, and America itself—it's why the flag becomes this even greater, bigger symbolic, uh, you know, messaging for one side than the other. Is there's a genuine belief that America is we are losing America if our side loses on any issue, if we give or capitulate on any issue, or any champion of our cause, we are one step further to losing America. And that is why I think at least at this point in time, and Mac gets uh, not only survives this, but but could come out stronger again at this point in time, and probably ought to put a timestamp on this because yeah, I could change, think so things could change by this I afternoon.
1: Think every day goes by yeah.
2: so, but, <laughs> less likely. But, 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 but your yeah. point, but your point about fear,
0: Mike, is so good and 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 important. And we should actually have Katherine Sanderson come on and join a roundup at some point because like there's an extra dimension to this that is psychological, social, psychological, and and really, we can talk about how Republicans have mastered the art of advertising based on fear in campaign politics for the last I don't know thirty years, forty. Mm-hmm. How like yeah, uh, and and far better than Democrats have done this. But it's oh, yeah. everything is about fear-based messaging because psychologically it's so powerful because it gets to your basest instincts as a, as a, as a human creature, right? Your, your, your biological instincts. This feels like a, an escalation of that. And in some ways, a a mutation of, of that form of advertising, because it isn't the same type of, um, this message is not the same. It is, it is sort of, it's, it feels like a mutant
2: strain of that in some way. It is causing a conundrum too for the Republican Party. You'll notice, as Susan pointed out, there's no Republican, there, there's neither Republican detractors nor defenders. Everyone's kind of everybody's in this way. silent. Everyone's yeah. quiet about this, everybody's right? They're going silent because yeah. they know they have seen in their own caucus the rise of, of of the performative. Yeah, they know that they're not championing anything except for the tribe now, and they 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 were perplexed when when Trump did this. And Juan, basically, yeah, he right. showed that it worked. Everybody the question the is, before. is this transferable Once, yeah. to other people? With most authoritarian regimes, it is not. It, it is a true cult of personality where it exists for that one person. There are some small examples where it does. You look at North Korea, right? The North Korean example where the grandson is now, you know, the dictator and the all-powerful. And, and you've seen it in Cuba, for example, with Castro and the Castro brothers. But, but by and large these things go away with the leader. And, and to Susan's point, this I think most, most of this was very specific to Donald Trump. But what I am also convinced of is the fact that what created Trump and what's going to allow this type of politics to emanate for probably another couple of decades is the same driving dynamics, which is the emptiness of the entire thing requires Requires the theater because there's nothing to defend. There's nothing to advocate for. It must be against something. So he actually just started launching ads against CNN. What? Right? He's run. He's run. Yeah, he's running. He's Matt starting Gates. to run ads today. Matt Gates is <sighs> against CNN, who broke this this last the last details of this story. He's got to find an enemy, right? He's got to run against something. And remember, if you don't stand for anything, the only way to win or survive. Is to attack, you have to create an enemy. And that's what Fox News is really good at, right? Is they're not advocating for a public policy agenda or a better philosophy of governance. You never heard Matt Gates or Donald Trump, you know, or Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Green extol the virtues of smaller government and free markets. <laughs> it's all about no building a wall. They're trying to defund the police. They're for open borders. They're coming to get your guns. CNN is trying to attack us. And if they're attacking me, they're really attacking you because I'm the champion for your cause. And it's, you know, Antifa's pouring into the streets. And that's the real threat, not the insurrection. It's all based off of this reality that is created when the emptiness of not just the culture but the party requires that something stand up and serve as a facade before People themselves realize there's nothing here.
1: Here's the difference with Matt Gates. First of all, we're not talking about guns or a loyalty to America or whatever those whatever yeah, they say on Fox that. News. We're talking about sex trafficking. Most people you can't find a constituency for that. Like you just can't. And as much well, as you QAnon, know, <laughs> see, I mean, like,
0: how does how's QAnon okay. going to handle this guy? I mean, but, yeah. but there's
1: also there's also the other thing. If you notice, response was they didn't send a saint or a monk to Washington. So he tried to play like, yeah, I'm kind of a player, but then all of a sudden it's sex trafficking. All of a sudden it's prostitutes. All of a sudden it's drugs. And the biggest point, and why, again, I, Matt Gates is certainly no Donald Trump when it comes to this, is because his colleagues all took a step away. Why? Why do they do that? Because they know him. There's a lot of talk about him potentially putting, showing photos of women to his colleagues on the floor of the House floor. There's a lot of stuff out there that rings true, especially from his days in the Florida state legislature. I mean, I've heard some absolutely horrific stories, but that's, that's what makes it this a little bit different is he could try their coming for us. It's going to fail because no one has his back right now and now the people know those few supporters he had that donald trump is not standing by him you know marjorie taylor Greene ain't going to cut it for him that's not going to get him over the finish line and i do think that you know i appreciate everything that mike says and i agree with it as far as as we look at it in a cultural sense but sometimes we also have to look at these things just for what they are and i think at this point ever since Matt Gates went on Tucker Carlson, and Tucker was like, "I don't know, you're crazy, I don't know, what I don't you're know anything." About, man. Yeah. Like he really—that's what changed the dynamic in this particular case. Whereas we saw—I forget who is it from California who said, "Like blame my wife for my ta- my campaign filings."
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, know, got, yeah, yeah. Like, right. you know, There's
1: yeah. Di- there's different levels, and th- I just find this to be a little different.
0: So the question that I have is whether or not the silence of all of his Republican colleagues. Uh, so uh, I interpret that as neutrality, frankly, because I I look at it as they've taken a step back because they don't know which way the wind is going to blow from that gate. They don't know what's going to happen next, because if they did, if they thought, actually, well, let's look at this as what it is. You would see some of them, even a handful, condemn him in some way. Right. But they've said nothing.
1: I don't think th- I understand your point. Of neutrality I also think that they know he's guilty and what's more I think they're afraid to talk up about these issues because it runs rampant in their backyard so like you know they can't talk too much about this or they may be in, you know they may lose 30 40 seats if their guys have to go <laughs> yeah
2: I, I, I'm not I'm not convinced of that um, I, I think Ron's right I think the neutrality is, is I think it's a wait and see I think we are just in a different era. Let me give you an example of why we're in a different era and, and how things have changed. When when we were all younger, and we're not that old, but when we were all younger in the business, the, the Republican Party was the moralist party, right? If if one of your members was even accused of this, we would turn on them and drive them from the tribe and, and cast them out into the deserts to die of exposure, right? How dare you? I mean, extramarital affairs would do that for exactly. you. That's what I'm like, saying. That's a, yeah. that's, that's a nothing burger now. At, it's nothing, right? Now the Democratic Party is the moralist party, right? They're the ones that have this higher standard. Ask Al Franken, right? If you're not, and and back when we were younger, there was all sorts of excuses for behavior for Democratic members, and it was the Republicans. That has shifted entirely 180 degrees differently And there is a strong sense in this caucus that they don't know how this is going to play out. I do believe, I think, Susan, I think you're right. I think there's more to this story. and That was my main qualifier. I think that we're just at 10% of understanding this. I think other members are going to be involved. And I think that's part of the calculation. But more importantly, what Republicans have remembered is this. There were early people that turned on Donald Trump when all of this was happening, and we only knew 10% of it then. As we learned 90% more, the base not only didn't turn on him, they got more committed to him because it's not about the moral failures. It's not about the legal failures. It is the core central tenet of what makes human beings humans, and that is there's a sense of identity and community together in this. So they don't care if their president is corrupt or sexually manhandles women or is uh, uh, an insurrectionist. They don't care. They might say they do. They, Of course, because, it's, uh, the, because, because you can't not. Because
0: right? you have throwaway to. Line. But behavior but, indicates. Well, and don't forget, it's we exactly saw right.
1: one casualty pretty quickly when this started coming up, and that's Congressman Tom Reed of New York. Um, With this news came out, in a, a sexual harassment situation right away, and he went from being a potential gubernatorial candidate to saying, "I'm done after this term. Like I, I'm but out." He, because he, he He didn't he, resign. He said, "I'm not. I'm not going to seek." But the point. I'm. I, I'm not saying. Yes, he did. He did what he did. But I'm just saying that's the first one.
2: You. What well, my my argument is this: there's going
1: to be a lot of others.
2: This is and this is a strategic consideration. One chose the path of what historically the Republicans have always done. What I'm saying is, is that still the path when clearly Matt Gates and Donald Trump are digging in on the absolute different direction? But
1: I don't think they're making a political calculation on that. I think they are making a political calculation on they know what he is. They've seen the pictures themselves. Oh, they'd they get rid of him.
2: No, they'd get rid of them, unless it's so deep that everybody's involved, which I doubt. I, I Look, in that case, you cut, you, you cut him out. You get rid of them. You make you, you move on. That would be my my advice, my strategic advice. Who's less popular
0: among their own colleagues, Matt Gates or Ted Cruz? <laughs> <No>.
2: <laughs> well, Matt Gates, because
1: he probably has more of them. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's actually so I'll right. go
1: I'll go with that. There's okay. more people in the house. So. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll go there. Okay. <laughs>
0: Let's turn to our third topic, which is this meeting of CEOs, which I am fascinated by and candidly uh, excited about. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. Um, We've spent a lot of time talking about the attempts to disenfranchise voters across the country and we will continue to expose them along with other anti-democratic forces infecting our politics. But there's been a pretty fascinating and exciting development in the story we covered last week's roundup, which is the corporate responses and newfound corporate responsibility, if you care to call it that, pertaining to voting rights. So. In the first meeting of its kind last Saturday, more than 100 top CEOs and corporate leaders met virtually to discuss how best to respond to the passage of restrictive voting laws across the country. And this is after McConnell's and other Republicans uh, shut up and dribble retorts to several corporations speaking out about the GOP's voter suppression efforts. So on Wednesday, uh, an open letter on the importance and the sanctity of free and fair polling access was printed in the Washington Post and the New York Times, featuring hundreds of signatories uh, from corporations and familiar brands and business leaders, but also from scores of celebrities. Um, Just some of them are Amazon and Google, Warren Buffett, Starbucks, Leonardo DiCaprio, Demi Lovato, George Clooney. There were also some notable non-signers, Coca-Cola and Delta, which both spoke out about the Georgia law after it was passed. Walmart CEO, Doug McMillan, who also chairs the Business Roundtable, which is this, uh, basically it's a a elite lobby for business, uh, major corporations in America, said, we are not in the business of partisan politics. While our government relations teams have historically focused on core business issues like tax policy or government regulation, Walmart, and other major employers are increasingly being asked to weigh in on broader societal issues such as civil rights. We do want to be clear that we believe broad participation and trust in the election process are vital to its integrity. So I read the Walmart thing and had a a strong reaction uh, in opposition to this because it looks like they're just trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to have it both ways, and I read civil rights as like, that should not be a partisan political issue. And their attempt to frame this as party politics is disgusting to me. And I just, I see it as so disingenuous, but that's Walmart and that's, um, you know, like they're saying broad participation and trust in, in the election process are vital to its integrity. Just don't ask us to sign our names to that idea. Right? That's That's how I see it. But Mike, looks like corporate leaders took the Republican response to, you know, basically Pay up and shut up, and and turn it into a call to action to be even more active participants in this arena. Do you think McConnell and other Republicans uh, miscalculated when they when they pushed back so hard? And where do you think this is headed?
2: Yes, I think McConnell miscalculated, which is rare for this guy. Um, but I'm also I also believe these CEOs miscalculated. Okay, and here's why this issue I, I, this is really going to be fascinating to watch unfold. And so so there's a couple things I want to say about this. The first is social change in the republican party has always come about uh, from corporations we, do, the domestic benefits fight before marriage equality the fight was about domestic benefits and it was it was, a, it, was That's a flash, right. it was a it was a flashpoint in the culture war and what happened was united airlines that had a hub in san francisco said we're offering domestic benefits. And not only that, but very, very aggressive packages because we care about our employee base. And
0: HP was one of the first corporations H- to do this under and, Carly Fearnes' leadership. That's HP, right.
2: HP and Silicon Valley did the yeah. same thing. And For domestic like, partners. Yeah, This is about our employee base and this is about our customer base. We're not going to get into the moralization of that. Once that changed, once corporations changed, there was really no, much, not much left in the Republican Party. There's still some grinching about it. Of course, there always will be. But by and large, the the rapid pace of that social change essentially collapsed when corporations made that change. Let me give you one other real recent example. And and I'm getting to to something with this. MLB pulls out of Atlanta for Major League Baseball, pulls the All-Star game out. When did that happen? It happened when the Dodgers manager... The world champion Dodgers manager Dave Roberts, one of the few African-American managers, said, I, I don't think I'm going to be managing that game. Ooh. And keep in mind, if four or five black players pulled out of the All-Star game, Major League Baseball would have a bigger issue than the NFL has had with Colin Kaepernick. OK, my point is this. Corporations don't respond to boycotts anymore because they don't work. The economic impacts comes internally. It comes from their employee base. It's really central to understanding how social change is going to respond to this. And I think corporate America is really struggling with this, especially larger companies, and here is why. The the employee base of a Coca-Cola, for example, if you polled it, if you tested it, if you looked at the data, would probably look almost entirely reflective of the United States, both demographically and from a partisan perspective. Okay? It's just that big of a company. The sample size is that large. Here's the dilemma. They also do business in other countries. So can Apple can Apple actually take a stand as a pro democracy company when all of their stuff is made essentially with slave labor overseas? As a transnational company, once you take the bite of the apple of saying, we're going to stand up for democracy and democratic values and virtues here in the United States, aren't you then exposing yourself to your entire distribution and manufacturing and customer base worldwide? Like, that's where I think the Walmart starts to go, wait a second. We've got, this is a bigger issue. And I think what's what the aspirational side of me says this is good because if they haven't thought about it, but do buy into this because it is morally right, yeah. it is good corporate social responsibility, they are then going to be faced with a bigger question and a bigger dilemma where they're going to have to advocate on behalf of these issues and these virtues and these values transnationally. But isn't the, that a great I, – so I get it. Like corporate – I get. I get why that
0: could be a misstep for them, but I think it's great. It's no, fine. maybe I, for, I think for it's humanity it's yeah. a good thing
2: yeah. because ultimately the saviors of democracy, ironically, could be corporations, yeah. right? Or at least advancing advancing the issues of freedom and democracy. But why? What? But why?
1: Why? It's good why business. would they do that? Correct, they, well, and yeah. that is it. That's the game, and business. that's what we have. It's good business. It's good business. They are making these corporations are making these decisions based on business and responsibility to shareholders. Like Mike's, I mean, and I their agree employees. with no, and their, employees. their employees, I, not the shareholders. I, I agree. Not
2: shareholders.
1: Well, they and have a, a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders for keeping financial their financial responsibility. They think, yes. That's so they, yeah. they are taking care of their, their their shareholders and a big part to their employees couldn't agree with you more. But that being said, they're very they, big. Fortune 500 companies get very nervous about going into this kind of field because where's the next place that they should or shouldn't go now to me it's easy to set the line so high that this is the fu- this is our fundamental democracy on the line so to me it's easy like voting is good like it, it, it's not even political but that's how the i think the corporations need to really start tackling this because they are getting into a political mess and t- Mike's point I think it was Rubio who made the point about companies doing business in China and you know maybe we should boycott them of course the Republicans took it too far and just sound like morons frankly in 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 their their reaction to taking out the the major league baseball game out of Atlanta but it um it is an interesting time for corporations. They have, they, they are in a flux right now. They want to do a comp. They know they have to do the right thing for employee and shareholders. They actually have to, um, which is good. And I think most of them want to. But it's going to lead them down to a lot of other decisions that they have to make that they also are concerned about. So, you know, now their lobbyists and their c- emergency or crisis comms people are coming up with books of issues, yeah. literally. Yeah, I hate to sound like rambling, yeah. but big binders, yeah. <laughs> binders, full issues. Issues. binders full of issues, <laughs> binders full of issues, yeah, because they all are coming down the pike because. How do you not say infrastructure is not, you know, you have to get behind Biden's package. There's right, water, you right, know, clean right, water in there. Right. How can you be against clean water? Yeah. You know, it's, it's all of those things happening. So I think it's a very interesting time. I think it's one that because corporations are very uncomfortable, it could be a little rocky road for a little while. And I think Democrats would be making a mistake if they think they won corporations over. I really do, because it's it. They can change their mind based on necessity.
0: So you both made me think of one thing, which is that, you know, the employee base of some of these major corporations, at least thinking about millennials get a bad rap a lot, right? But one defining characteristic of millennial, of the millennial generation, and also Zoomers for that matter, is that they care about the work they do in the world. And they're more sort of ethically conscious of how what they do on a day-to-day basis impacts the world around them. And I think that sort of uh, career consciousness of the millennial and Zoomer employee bases of some of these corporations has to play a big role because they are voting with the work they do. We used to talk about voting with their dollars, but millennials vote in how they do their work, at least the ones who have the luxury to do so. And that ends up being college-educated workers who... Are working for some of these major corporations. They won't stand for for, they will, they will not work at a place that isn't um aligned with some of their core values. And because this is such a dominant issue right now, I have to imagine that inside these corporations, there are massive, there's a lot of pressure on senior leadership to step up and do the right thing, at least on very fundamental issues like this.
1: And and Mike can talk to you about the demographics, but let's not forget this year, millennials. The oldest ones turn 40.
0: Yes, I know. And,
1: and this and, and I've been talking about this for a long time, that when we start defining millennials, we I, I think you almost have to break it up a little bit. Yeah, I
0: think that's right.
1: Because when you have the millennials that are buying homes, so the largest amount of homeowners out there, their priorities do shift. People's priorities do as they continue. So I'm not saying that you're, I don't disagree with, the, with you, Ron, that they care about what they work on and who they work for but at the same time there is a, there is an interesting shift going on there with the, with that group
0: and it, and it's certainly i'm sure it's not the sole driving factor but i have to imagine there is in pressure inside the organizations from
2: their employees. And that basically. that's really the bigger point, is the way we have historically looked at this is the bottom line financially for corporations has been affected and impacted by things like boycotts, right. right? We think of the civil rights struggle in the 60s and boycotting the buses. And you know that, that's not the way the economy it's a diff- works This is a different anymore. model of change. Boy- boycotts don't work, especially for corporations, because the risk is spread globally now. So you're going to boycott a grocery chain in California. Who cares? It's owned by a multinational corporation, and it's not going to have Any financial impact. And
0: and it's only going to hurt the people who are there locally, right? This is what this is some of the one of the points that Stacey Abrams made when they were
2: she was like, don't boycott Coca Cola or whatever it was. Exactly. And so the corporate response to your point and and the the broader point I'm really trying to drive home here is it's the employee base that demands it. An HR problem is far more significant than the potential corporate threat from a boycott um, or a financial impact externally. One is because culturally that's the way we react. Second is because the millennial generation and whatever iterations of younger people are that want to work for for values-based corporations are there. But three, there's going to have to be, to Susan's point, a lot of defense of a whole lot of issues of what corporations are doing when they start to go down this road Of change. And and I I do want to reiterate, I wasn't making it, I wasn't saying it was a bad thing that corporations were doing it. I just think that these hundred CEOs that are getting together are probably opening up a larger can of worms than they realize and understand because they're seeing a PR issue, an HR issue, and saying, how do we resolve this here in the United States when so many of them have all these bigger issues, far bigger than voting rights, that they're actually manufacturing, distributing, and, and having consumed in countries where voting is like the least of the human rights concerned in some of these countries.
0: Okay, this is definitely a watch this space story. Now that we are up to speed on the major stories of the week, what are you following, whether it's flown under the radar or our listeners might have missed that you think is going to influence our politics? in some way. Susan?
1: I think we're about to experience a really big global shift or at least a realignment on and a whole lot of fronts, whether we're talking about militarily as what we're, the U.S. pulling out of Afghanistan or at least announcing it to there being um, supply chain problems as a result of the p- pandemic. Now there's like a big problem, like you can't get chips now. All these companies are like, I want to make stuff and I can't because that was just in the in the Times today. To also another point that we forget that Donald Trump's influence or the, his rhetoric, I should say, really did spread to Europe that I just read today that in Denmark, they are now sending home uh, Syrian refugees who they say Damascus is now safe enough because they're worried about the problems on the right because the right is using that as an issue within their their nation. So I think there's a lot of things to be watching right here, and and how we're going to process it because under Donald Trump we really were focused at home an awful lot It's true and i think that's shifting now and and i think a lot of i mean we we're also Russia, i can yeah, yeah we're looking up but we also have to redefine ourselves and that's going to be an interesting coalition of of republicans and democrats on on foreign affairs and then also addressing like i said the supply chain issue is is huge and I think that will affect us economically.
0: That's a really good point. Mike, did you want to comment on that? You
2: are nodding. Well, I, I think I want to expound on that with what yeah. I want to talk about because I think Susan is yeah. exactly sure. right. And I think the rationale for why she's saying that is exactly right, too, is there, our focus is starting to look more externally. Look, the two issues that I'm most concerned about at this moment in time are the movement of uh, military weaponry um, into the Ukraine. The Russians are moving aggressively into the Ukraine. In, in a test of the Biden administration, at at least, or an extenuation of where they already have built capacity over the last four years, is if they if they want to roll on Ukraine, they 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 can. They they're ready, and it, it's now because what we allowed, or the Trump administration allowed, it, it's it's a it, it's a it's not only a real threat. I think it's more likely than not that they would be successful and very quickly if they decided to roll tanks. The second is um, Iran. Iran's oh my God! Nuclear capacity this. is yeah. becoming an issue
0: again. Oh, they're too. ramping it back up to sixty percent,
2: I think. Uranium enrichment. Yeah, yeah, and so Iran is now you know, enriching uranium. There are now attacks externally that no one has taken, you know, responsibility for. Is it the United they States? They say it's is Israel. Israel. Is yeah. it? You know, the point is, and again, this is, I think really underscores Susan's point: is foreign policy, cleaning up the foreign policy mess. Uh, and foreign policy is always messy, but th- th- what what happened during the last administration is reasserting American authority is going to be particularly difficult because we have to do it on every front. We're also seeing China um, militarily building, you know, perhaps an, a, a navy uh, as size uh, of 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 matching or greater power than the United States over the next thirty years, and exercising greater strength in the South China Sea. I mean, this is, these are extraordinary developments, which I think signify uh the 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 uh, our our foreign adversaries and frankly our allies acknowledging that the united states is perhaps no longer the global superpower militarily and especially if we have to fight these wars on many fronts we may not have the constitution as a people uh, or the metal to do it anymore to police the world and that that means there is a whole new paradigm in the in the global yeah. theater so yeah Speaking of whole new paradigms in the global theater, I wanted to
0: mention this week uh the coinbase uh, public listing, which was just yesterday. Coinbase is a cryptocurrency exchange company and uh started trading at three hundred and seventy eight dollars a share valuations somewhere around uh You know, over sixty-eight billion, I think, and and who knows what it is. I think it settled around three hundred and twenty a share, something. Still, massive valuation. And I think you know we are definitely due for a long form conversation about cryptocurrency in general. But there are some really tricky issues to unpack here. Not the least of which is the potential uh, environmental impact of mining this currency at least uh, at least for the next 30 40 years until the you know the calculation uh changes where it's less profitable you basically you have to spend more in electricity to to mine a bitcoin than it you know than the bitcoin is actually worth once it's mined so but it, it's just an, a massive amount of electricity energy consumption but also the potential especially now that China is uh, introducing its own cryptocurrency, state, state-run cryptocurrency, uh, digital yen. There's a lot to unpack here. And and I think that this public listing um, of Coinbase, one of, the, one of the major and most user-friendly exchanges, is going to dramatically increase the number of people who are actually participating in, in cryptocurrency. And that is just going to drive the price up way more than it is now. So watch that space. I will come back to that topic. Okay, where can everybody find you on the internet, Mike?
2: Follow me on Twitter at Madrid underscore Mike. And Susan?
1: On Twitter at Del S.
2: And I'm at Ron Steslow
0: on Twitter. We'll see you next week. Thank you to Susan and Mike for taking the time to have this conversation. And I want to thank everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you have questions or advice for us, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode of The Roundup, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PoliticologyPod. If you enjoy the show, make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to help us grow and continue the fight to protect our democracy, it would also help tremendously if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, because it helps us rise in the rankings so that new listeners are more likely to find the show. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.